G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. If you're able to, uh, please keep that uh, Joel passage particularly uh, in front of you. I think that would be, uh, um, well, helpful for you, if nothing else. Uh, Let's pray as we come to God's Word in Joel chapter 2. Our Father in Heaven, the work of Your Spirit in this world is in many ways a mysterious thing to us. It is the work of Your mighty hand and yet like the wind, we can't see it, we can't see Him, we can't quite identify what he does. He seems to operate freely and yet, Father, you've told us that he is at work in us and so we pray, be at work in our midst this morning, please, for your glory and, Father, for our good. May we grow as your children in this world for having spent this time dwelling on your word, on your message to us by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. In a word, hope. In a few more words, what might it look like for us, for you and me, to live day by day with a hope that we believe is good and is robust, is absolutely untakeawayable, and to live with that hope in the midst of a world that does not know anything like it? Hope. Today our theme is hope. Hope is, of course, you know, it's, it's a fundamental Christian virtue, isn't it? It's a, it's a fundamental component of the Christian outlook on life and it should work its way into all sorts of nooks and crannies of life, all sorts, every little uh, corner of our lives, according to the Scriptures. And so Paul says to the Thessalonians, for example, even where you're grieving hope should play a part. Do you remember 1 Thessalonians 4, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep, that is, died, or to grieve like the rest of people who have no hope. What would it be to live and to wake up each morning and to return our heads to the pillow each night? A hopeful people, a hopeful church, a hopeful person? That's the question I want to address today. Not like the rest who have no hope, but distinctively and robustly hopeful. So, welcome back to Joel's prophecy. I think it's fair to say, Joel is a bit of an odd choice uh, to talk about hope from, from if, if what we've seen so far is anything to go by. Is that fair to say? If what we've seen so far over the past two weeks is anything to go by, Joel is an odd place to go for hope. Um, I'd like you to summarise, if you could, the, the mental horizon, I suppose, the future that the people in Joel's day saw for themselves. Uh, Can you transport your mind back to the last two weeks in Joel? What is their mental horizon on their life? Were they a hopeful people from all that we've seen so far? Were they a hopeful people as plague upon plague of locusts rolled down those mountains towards the cities and towards the city walls? Can you remember it now from last week? 
Well, they are hopeful people as Joel ran around them uh, one after the other in week number one, shaking them and saying, come on, man, look at what's happening to us. What was their mental horizon? Were they buoyant and full of optimism as their storehouses fell into disrepair, uh, not only because there was nothing in them, but because there was no prospect of putting much into them? Was there was theirs a hopeful outlook or was it a downward taper or a downward spiral, probably better? Uh, You'll recognise these words from Benjamin Franklin, at least the last bit of this. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, in response to this sort of brief little swell of optimism in his day, uh, when he said, our new constitution is now established and has an appearance that promises permanency... But in this world, do you know it now? But in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. You know what that sounds like to me from Benjamin Franklin? It's not so much pessimism or depression. Isn't he just being realistic? That life, it has a certain downward decline. That wherever there is good in our experience, it is curbed, spoiled a little bit. The edge of goodness is taken away, taken off it a little bit by taxes, so to speak, literal or figurative. And wherever there is life, it is haunted sooner or later by death. So what about hope? How different would it be for Christians, for us, to live as people who have this robust hope in our heart and in our lives every day, to wake up with it every morning, to return our heads to the pillow every night, are hopeful people. I think we would be vastly different to the people around us. I have three points today. The first one is this, an abundant life. Please read with me from Joel's prophecy uh, there in Joel chapter 2, if you have it in front of you. Uh, If you've lost your place in the Bible, Joel is such a small book, I suggest you just go to the contents page and and find it again, or you can follow along on the screen. Thanks, Drew, and thanks, by the way, for stepping in at short notice uh, to fill in on vision today. Please read with me from Joel's prophecy. Now, these verses that I'm going to read from verse 18, they come right on the back of the realisation from last week, do you remember, that it was God... It was God all along who had systematically brought this uh, plate, brought His people to their knees in judgment. That was the word of prophecy from Joel. It was God all along. The locust thing was orchestrated by the Lord Himself against His people. Uh, That was last week. Do you remember verse 13? And so the upshot from verse 13 of Joel, rend your heart, O people of the Lord, and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God for He's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and He relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and have pity. Well, today we hear the reply and we're taking it up from verse 18 now. Today we hear the reply for a starving, foodless people. Just imagine hearing these words. Then the Lord will be jealous for His land and take pity on His people. The Lord will reply to them, I'm sending you grain, new wine and oil, enough to satisfy you. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations 
I will drive the northern army, I think it's talking about the locusts now, I will drive the northern army far from you, pushing it into a parched and barren land with its front columns going into the eastern sea and those in the rear into the western sea and its stench will go up and its smell will rise. Surely he has done great things. Be not afraid, O land, be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Be not afraid, O wild animals, for the open pastures are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit, the fig tree and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, O people of Zion, rejoice in the Lord your God, for He has given you the autumn rains in righteousness. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain, the vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I think it's important that we get the tense right, clear with those verses. It's important that we get the tense right. Is he talking about the past or the present or the future uh, in those words there? When, when is this abundant life, this grain and new wine and oil, these vats that will overflow with new wine and oil, when is that? Is it that they have woken, you know, the plague of locusts and that they've woken the next morning, kind of like kids on Christmas Day and this is already their experience, woken to discover abundance in their stockings, metaphorically, you know, storehouses full of grain? Has God been busy like a cosmic kind of Father Christmas character, filling everything up overnight, filling and mending and making and, you know, delivering their wildest hopes? Has he been kind of like his creative self, I think that's the kind of the image that's drawn on there, tending the land and tending the animals when no one's been looking and suddenly, oh people of Zion, rejoice, here it is. Is it that they've woken one morning to this brimming life? Well, no. Leslie Allen puts it like this, he says, they are urged to take a joyous leap of faith and transcend the dismal present by praising Him for what is as good as done since His Word guarantees its fulfilment. Be glad, O people of Zion, that's what they're to do right now, be glad, uh, and from the words before, I am sending, in other words, it's not your experience yet, I will repay you, He goes on to say. I wonder, does that, does that little quote that I just read, does that resonate for you at all in your Christian life? Just let me read it to you again. They are urged to take a joyous leap of faith and transcend the dismal presence by praising Him for what is as good as done since His Word guarantees its fulfilment. There is something dismal about the present, certainly for them. I mean, they are in much worse circumstances than us. And yet they are called right there and then to take a joyous leap of faith, right there and then. That was to be their present uh, expression of this future hope. The tense is future for this abundant life. And yet, what abundance and what life, you know, rain on dry dirt, bulging stores of wine, full bellies and fat vats full of good stuff. 
I think Alan's right, there's the call, be glad, O people of Zion, rejoice in the Lord your God, for He has given you the autumn rains in righteousness. It is as good as theirs, because God said so. And I wonder, just imagine waking, waking up in the morning, just with that much in your heart each day, come what may today, abundant life is on its way. Imagine if we woke with that, come what may today, Abundant life is on its way. That church down in Lauderdale, they've got the right name, don't they? Point number two, forever and ever. So point number one, abundant life. Point number two, forever and ever, amen. The promises and the prophecies just keep coming. Verse 25, let's keep going. I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locusts swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You'll have plenty to eat until you're full and you'll praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you'll know that I'm in Israel, that I am the Lord your God and there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. Do you know the word schadenfreude? I kind of wish Horst was here this morning. Uh, Do you know the word schadenfreude? Um, I love the way Germans have this super specific words for, uh, for things like this. It's just brilliant. Schadenfreude means harm joy. My joy at your harm or your joy at my harm. Um, it's pretty much, it, let's try and wrap our heads around this. It's the stuff that Australia's Funniest Home Videos is built around. Do you see what I mean now? The, the joy at someone else's harm. Hapless dad axes himself on the trampoline and what's the response? Everyone laughs, raucous laughter, hilarious, never mind the hospital bill. Do you see what I mean? Or, uh, you know, in The Simpsons, Nelson's laugh, so Bart axes himself on the skateboard or Homer drives over Lisa's saxophone or whatever, what does Nelson do? <laughs> do you know the laugh now? Yeah, there we go. Someone does, Case does, thanks Case. <laughs> Schadenfreude is like the icing on the cake of the worst day of your life, when everything has gone bad, when everything has come apart, when every, and, and there is someone there to add to it by pointing and laughing. That's schadenfreude, harm joy. And you'll never see it again, says the Lord to these people. Verse 26, you'll have plenty to eat until you're full and you'll praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you, but maybe it's just for a little while. No, the end of the verse, never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know, verse 27, that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God and there, there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. How long will this winning streak last? How long until there's someone there again to point and laugh? How long until we get back on the downward decline? No, no, never again. Never again. And I just want to reflect, what kind of an outlook would that kind of future put on my life or on your life? What would it feel like to wake up each morning, not with death and taxes kind of certainties, but with abundant life forever and ever kind of certainties. I think it would change things, wouldn't it? If that had our hearts each day as we woke up, I think it would change things. 
There'd be an unguardedness about us, I think a deep happiness. There'd be something unshakable in you that just nothing that happened in the day would be able to unseat. Maybe you're not experiencing the good, the abundant life today, but if this is your future and these are your horizons, then in a sense, whatever I do today, everywhere I turn, every decision that I have to make and I weigh up the possible outcomes, every gamble that I take on life or work or money or love, what lies on the horizon? I know there is abundant life and I know that it is forever and ever. I think that would change the day today, wouldn't it? It doesn't need saying, but our culture does not know this kind of hope. Our culture does not experience this kind of horizon as they look out on their lives and on their future. But do you, brothers and sisters? Abundant life, forever and ever, amen. Point number three, there are no favourites. There are no favourites. This is for every single one of you. Read with me now from verse 28, uh, the verses that were picked up in Acts chapter 2, we'll get there shortly. In verse 28, the, the timeline in Joel, it, it's a little bit hard to put together actually. Uh, is, it, is this afterwards, like after all that other stuff or is it all a bit jumbled up as part of the day of the Lord because he seems to go back to some of the other images? The timeline's a bit hard to figure out but I think the, the upshot, the main point um, is clear. This is for every single one of the Lord's people. Check it out, verse 28. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. I'll show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. I wonder, have you ever met someone, I bet you have, I bet you've met several of them, have you ever met someone who just seems so so effortlessly close to God? Do you know the kind of people I mean? You, You hear them pray out loud and it just seems so real for them. Uh, or you, uh, you talk to them about their Bible reading and it's just like every single day they have this life-changing, amazing moment in their devotions. Do you know the kind of people that, I'm, uh, that I mean? Have you met these kinds of people? It's like every time it, and um, they seem like the special ones, you know, they seem like God's favourites. It seems like they are so near to God. And we kind of stand in awe of them or jealousy of them, depending on who you are, depending on how you're wired, or maybe both. Um, now, I want to tread carefully here because I want to say that in a very important sense, and we will get to this in a moment, every single Christian already has the very Spirit of God in them, living and active, the very Spirit of God in their lives right now. There are not two classes of Christians. Nevertheless, I think this uh, prophecy is holding out for us 
Yes, an expression that we experience now, but in the fullness of time, something that will find even greater expression. As there's this knowing God, this encounter with God that isn't just for the special ones, it's for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And we'll know it and we'll know our Lord will be in His presence forever and ever. But did you catch it? It's for everyone. Verse 28, and afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people, all flesh is the word there. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. I think it's picking up there the, the, uh, the kind of language of, um, of Moses and Joshua and those people who seem so close to God, have such a powered, vivid, powerful, vivid experience of the spirit of God at work amongst them. Even the judges, I suppose, although they were a little bit on and off, Elijah and Elisha and the mighty works that they worked in the spirit of the Lord and it's saying no it's for just the sons and the daughters the old blokes the young fellows for everyone verse 29 even on my servants servants both men and women I'll pour out my spirit in those days the hope is that's for you Christian In some sense, it already is you, not just the special ones, not just the men, like it always seems to be, not just the powerful ones, not just the masters, not just the grown-ups, you and God forever. This is part of the abundant life that is on our horizon, part of our hope that we can be glad in even now. Do we have that hope in our hearts today? Most people sit in today's joy, this is Tim Keller, most people sit in today's joy foreseeing the coming sorrows. Christians sit in the midst of this world's sorrows tasting the coming joy. By a roundabout way of conclusion, I'd actually like to tease out what a hope like that, if it's got our heart, if it's got our minds every morning as we wake up, I'd like to tease out what a hope like that uh, could look like in one very specific area of life, in one very specific way. Please turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament, Uh, so this is after the death and resurrection of Jesus and we come to one of the first, well really the first recorded Christian sermon that we have actually, right upon the coming of the Spirit uh, uh, on God's people there in Pentecost. Uh, My thought here is simply this, if we truly, if we deeply believe that we have this amazing outlook of abundant life Uh, and a future like that and if we truly believe that it is not an outlook that our fellow man that our neighbours around us share then this outlook is going to drive us to outreach I reckon here's the scene so suddenly you remember it from when uh, Gary and Pia read it to us suddenly in this miraculous scene these new Christians are speaking the gospel in languages that they'd never learned this multi-ethnic group there and suddenly these Christians are proclaiming Jesus to all these different kinds of people and the onlookers go, hang on a sec, what's going, are these guys on the fizz? And Peter says, no, it's not like that at all. Verse 14, then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you, listen carefully to what I say, 
These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. This pouring out of the Spirit kind of business, this look at all God's people empowered by the Spirit of God kind of business. Verse 17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my Spirit in those days and they'll prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the end of the Joel quote. Back to Peter now. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Skip down to verse 32. Uh, Verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life and we're all witnesses of the fact. Uh, Exalted to the right hand of God, he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And down to verse 36, therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. What's he saying there? What's he saying so far? So far, he's saying the hopes of Joel, this abundant life that is forever and ever, amen, and that is for every single one of you, believers, those who call on the name of the Lord, it has come in Jesus. It has come. And so these people are looking on and they're not sure, maybe these blokes are drunk, what's going on? Peter says, no, no, no. No, no, this is the... This is the hope coming upon us, at least in its, its, uh, in its dawning form. Uh, so, picking it up from verse 37 now, verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Brothers and sisters, I think a horizon of hope in our hearts will mean we have a heart for the whole world. A horizon of hope in our hearts will mean we have a heart for the whole world. The world doesn't share this horizon of hope, but they could through the gospel of the Lord Jesus. The world doesn't hope for an abundant life in the end. What is their horizon? Benjamin Franklin, in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Brothers and sisters, aren't our lives to be different from those around us? And I don't mean in the normal kind of, you know, moral big ticket item ways. I mean in terms of having hope in our hearts that leads us to have a hope for the world around us or a heart for the world around us. Let us be known for our hope. Let our hope be known for the sake of others, that they may come to share it as well. I'll leave you with these words, looking right back to Joel's time. 
Outwardly, nothing has changed for the people of Joel in his time. Outwardly, nothing has changed, but Joel has a song in his heart, which he would have them share. So they may face the future with lighter hearts, knowing that their God's with them, with faith's hallelujah, they are to give him the glory for the covenant gifts they will receive. How about we pray? Yes, Lord, and we do give you glory and thanks that ours is a hope that changes lives. Would that our lives were changed all the more, were different and shone brightly and looked so clearly like lives whose future is both sure and bright. Father, we pray that the hope that we've already got a foretaste of now, spiritually, we pray that that hope might so infuse our lives that each day would be lived with this lightness of heart, with this optimism, not a blind optimism, not a denial of life's challenges, but yes, a dogged and resilient and bouncing back kind of a hope. Lord, would you work that into our hearts, even today? May we be encouragers of one another, because we know we can't do it alone. Encouragers of one another here at church, encouragers, husbands to wives and wives to husbands, siblings to one another, aunties to their nephews and nieces and vice versa. May we be encouragers of one another. We can't do it alone and you have given us one another for just such encouragements. May we repent, Father, of failing to lift our eyes. May the horizon that you've set before us, even in our hearts, uh, be ever the hope that you've given us. And so, as we go now, each to our own week, put a smile, Father, not just on our faces, but deep within we pray, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen.